you, me, we're in this together. Let's listen to each other. You're listening to each other, a human design centered podcast featuring an ensemble of energy types. These are practical conversations about real life experiences with human design woven throughout, just like a tapestry of our human experience, but threaded in a new language. Featuring projector AC Brown, generator Rachel Lieberman, manifesting generator Jasmine Kenna, and me, your manifester, Vanessa Henry. In this conversation, we lost our whole recording, perhaps due to the plethora of retrogrades happening. So we open with a manifesto rage blackout from yours truly, and then we move to explore anti-racism and what we have been each navigating in our own realities. This is a long episode, but I implore you to listen to it in its entirety whenever that makes sense for you, because there are some important stories here. <laughs> I, I just give me a sec here. <laughs> Oh, rage blackout. Oh, deep breath. In there, in one right now. Why did it turn off? On the fucking projector of all people, it's going to fucking turn off on AC fucking Brown. Excuse me, I have to get this out. The the one person who's going to feel it the fucking worst, (laughs) it's going to do that too? Yeah, I'm fucking livid. I don't care if there's 8,000 billion fucking retrogrades. Can something work? Correctly for once, I'm. I'm. You know what? You can all judge me how you want. I'm. I'm literally having a hit of weed. I'm never gonna judge. That's. I have to come down from this, otherwise I'm gonna be so. I had a Miller Light right now. I would have it. Miller Light, isn't that the worst beer on earth? (laughs) The best beer. It's the fine pilsner. (laughs) Easy. Says it right on the bottle. Um. Let's make this a little more fun, okay? You guys don't need a glass of wine. It's a little daytime glass of wine. (laughs) I would, but I'll just, I I don't know, I'll pass it out. What's that purple stuff you drink, Vanessa? Fancy. I started taking these like Chinese herbs. Did you just see me smell my armpit? Um, I know, I know it's hot down there, but. No, I, so I, I've been having like hormonal, I'm the oldest lady on this podcast. So I've been like, I'll get my period for two months and then I won't get it for like three months, like all this stuff. So my acupuncturist said, well, you're 44, who knows? But so I've been taking this stuff called free and easy wanderer and it's great. It helps you like unclog your liver chi, right? Like your energy in your liver, but it, it makes my armpits smell so bad that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can. Girl, you got to get nude. The antiodorant, nude, N-U-U-D. Oh, it changed Derek's life. He was like, he's like a sweaty guy. He would apply deodorant probably eight times a day. He does, he applies this, this cream um, like once every two or three it days. It doesn't clog you up, right? Because I tried that crystal once and no. I was like, oh, No, no, ow, no. It, ow, ow. it just, you still sweat, but it, it, it um, you don't, your sweat has no odor. It's, it's pretty, it's changed our relationship. Like I can have white bedding again and he can wear white shirts because his like armpits were like, oh, like make pitting, black. Yeah, pitting out. Not sponsored, but nude deodorant is a, nude and deodorant is a life changing well, I'm going to get it. But I honestly think it's really? just because I've spent the entire quarantine drinking Miller Lights and eating bratwurst. You know what I mean? Like I've just been eating like French onion yeah. dip and Ruffles potato chips for three months. 
So my liver sheet has been clogged up and now it's unclogged. Well, that's really interesting. I'm kind of premenopausal too. I don't really get a regular cycle just from treatment yeah. I've had. That's why I'm not fertile. And um, we're probably, I'm maybe a little bit older than you cardiovascularly, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, and my period will come like, I don't ever know. It's like, I still feel like a 14 right. year old girl. Like, what's it going to come? Um, but yeah, it'd be like once a season, I'm like four to six a year. And I'm like, doctors are just, they can't, they're so useless to help you. Cause it's right. not like they're, like, they're like, Oh, take a medication. I literally went to heart failure in January over this medication. Like it was just, no, that's so hormones scary. Fuck up with yeah. your heart. And I got to yeah. So, so anyway, sorry. Um, I was listening to you and I'm like liver cheat. Oh, oh. I'll, sh- I'll send you a screen. What yeah. I'll screenshot of- it to you free and easy. Yeah. Wonder. I feel I would, great. And I feel very like evenly balanced, except for my like rage blackout around this microphone situation today. But wait, that was your, oh, rage you didn't blackout? see it before. That was a you rage. You didn't see it before I got oh. on. I like, I was like that was composed myself. It was cute. And was like, I sent a message on Instagram that was like, my fucking microphone's not going to work. I got to be late. I wasn't happy. <laughs> well, I said fuck 30 times and went and smoked some weed. So I'm glad I got to wit. I'm glad I got what to witness you your rage blackout comparison to. Just a little. Just taking off the edge. Just, you should have just, just did the whole thing. Yep. Yeah, just because. Did the whole thing. Night night. No, AC. I don't. I gotta still. I gotta work today. You know. The whole thing. Just, just the whole thing. Imagine I can we do an episode like that one time? I want everybody to either to come up in a very relaxed state for whatever reason, whether you came back for a massage, whether you whether you had a bottle of wine, whether you had a tiny hoot, whatever. I want to see what everybody is like with that filter gone, specifically AC Brown and Rachel Lieberman, because I feel like me and Jasmine know it's that one. We're like, yeah, whatever. Hey. But what are you two like? Fuzzy? What's going on? I get sleepy. It's very sleepy. I tell all my secret. (gasps) Very sleepy. Sleepy and secret teller. Love that. I'm so want to witness that. It's just in college. I used to get drunk and I'd be like, (laughs) I'm going to tell you all my secrets. My friends thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Open open throat. Just like, hey, but tell you everything yeah it was like no it was like no one me telling all my secrets <laughs> like no one wanted to know <laughs> they're like oh. okay so no one asked okay okay we, like i got i'm trying i'm gonna try and steer this ship here was i don't even know where to steer to now because the whole point the whole episode basically wasn't recording so i was i just want to e- let each you know i was really wanting to record a few times and i'm really proud of us for not because Rachel and I obviously were having a very different experience than, than AC and Jasmine. And it was very challenging to know the correct way forward from a place of energetics, a place of love and just being your friend. And I, there was a moment that I just want to share, Rachel, you weren't here for this. You were still sleeping because you're, you're on the East coast, West, West coast, West. What side are you? West, West, West coast. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> West coast. Um, where I connected with, with the, our little pod or little group and said, you know, are we recording today? This is, this is when, this is like the day everything is going down. You know, social media is on fire, screaming, getting everybody's attention on George Floyd and what was going on. And I asked if we were recording and AC and Jasmine just started talking to each other, voice noting. 
and we're like, AC was like, I, I don't know if I can do it. And Jasmine was like, I don't know if I can do it. I can do it if you can do it. And I don't know, should we record? And it, it was so, I was just witnessing these en energetics play out. And that's where I kind of felt I had to make the decision and said, we're not recording. It, the, it's, this doesn't matter. Our podcast doesn't matter enough. Go be with your families, do what you need to do. And just, I want you to know, just bawling, listening to you voice note Aww. each other and trying to still, no, you don't have to pity me there, but it, it was just to witness the two of you in grief, but feel like you had this responsibility to a podcast. And it was just, it was um, a very profound moment for me watching witnessing the two of you share your grief i felt like i was a witness to some very vulnerable things that you were sharing with each other so thank you for letting me see that i needed to see that but we will never ever record this podcast through a space like that we don't have to do that that's not why we're doing this we're here to tell rachel's story jasmine's story ac's story vanessa's story and it's not work it's an honor to talk with mm -hmm. all of you do you know what i'm saying indeed thank you i mean that from the bottom of my heart I'm really, I'm really proud of us that we didn't like muscle yeah. through. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That we were like, take your space, heal what you need to heal, experience what you need to experience. I, it was another honor that we were still connected, texting and, you know, how are you? What do you need? AC had this big show she was going to do and we were all like, let's go. Okay, we're just going to put all our energy there. AC, what do you need? Do your live. We're here, you know? Um, and it was just nice to... It was nice to, I, I think, for me, show up in that way and to observe and witness as a 6-2 uh, what you guys were allowing me to. So thank you for that. And I'm happy to come together now when everybody's able to be like, okay, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to everybody. AC was like, I can't wait. AC, I know we were recording already and we, we weren't recording. We just fucked up your audio. I'm sorry. Can you, would you be able to tell us what you were feeling? Um, as this went down, what was going on with work? Share with us what you're going through as a black woman, a black projector woman, um, and help paint us a picture so we could see what that was like for you. Well, it was very intense. Um, not only, you know, being a projector, but I'm also a psychic channel. And so I felt very, well, let me give a little background. I was feeling before George Floyd was murdered I was feeling heavy like the week before and so I'm starting to notice when certain things happen in the world and the universe and things like that or like big energy coming my way I go into these crying fits where I'm crying a lot um and I'm just now realizing that so up until that happened I was I had been crying a couple of times because I was feeling very heavy and then um you know, that, you know, Memorial Day weekend, George Floyd, everything happened. And then, then it just really got intense. And it was just I was crying every single day. And I was just like, so much crying that my parents were worried about me, which my parents have been divorced for years, people, years, years. Um, and I'm in my 30s. And they were having conference calls like they were worried like my dad was calling my mom like I don't know we might have to go check on her and blah 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 this that, and the other so it was just a lot and then that Sunday after 
George Floyd was murdered like that following Sunday. I had talked on my Sunday sessions where I do every Sunday anyway. And I just, I was crying on the internet because I was just really overwhelmed with all of the things and just talking about my experience as a black woman, as a black woman online with an online business and just all of that stuff and just really kind of hurting or, but more feeling liberated to finally, it was almost like a breath of like a sigh, like a, it was because I finally, you know, because for me, I put on a brave face and, you know, if people only knew like a, a glimpse of just the things that I've dealt with as a black woman and trying to do stuff and trying to make things happen for so long, um, you'd be like, wow, that's a lot. And so I had just like crossed the 5,000 mark, like the, that, that week before. And I was just really super happy. I was like, oh my gosh, 5,000 followers. Like I've been working on my Instagram for probably like, yeah, two years. Yeah. Like two solid three years, like really putting work in. And then I just made 5,000. I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I was really happy. And then, you know, I talked about what I talked about on my Sunday sessions, which is still on my IGTV. And then, you know, the numbers started going up. And then um, my friend, Maisha, who owns and runs Check Your Privilege, the account, she had, mind you, she had wrote that book probably, I think it's almost two years old now. And in April, yeah, she has a book called Check Your Privilege. And so she, in April, she had reached out. She's like, hey, I think you should talk about, because she's a generator. So she just <laughs> slides in my DMs like, hey, I need you to talk about uh, human design and anti-racism. I'm going to put you on the summer school schedule. What day did you want? And I was just like, um, can I think about this? And she's like, no, I just need I'm you emotional to authority. <laughs> right. I'm like, she's like, moment. No, I just need you to do it. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, um, Tuesday, I'll come on, come on on Tuesdays. And so I was so emotional on like that, my Sunday session, I wasn't actually going to be live on Tuesday. I was told, I was t DMing her, I was like, Maisha girl, I'm nervous. I don't think I should be talking about it. I'm just going to do a post about anti-racism actions for each aura type literally that's what I was going to do a post and then she was just going to post it and then she was like I don't think that's a good idea I think you should come on and just go live and I was just like okay fine so I I'm went so on I'm glad you did AC I went on and I went live and um because I literally was like Monday night I was like girl I'm not gonna do this like I'll come on next week on Tuesday I'm just not ready for all of that she was like nope I think you should and I was just like <laughs> Okay, fine. So I did it. And then, boom, like so much stuff has happened. Literally, two days after I talked about these topics and these things that I curated, that was from my own mind and how I view human design through this anti racism kind of lens. Someone stole my content two days later, like it was like three people that I know of stole my content. When it comes to me creating stuff. There have been times in the past where people I've started doing something on my Instagram and then literally like a few people will text me and be like, um, did you see this on such and such a site? Like they just started doing this after you and all this stuff. I'm like, whatever, mm -hmm. it's fine. Mm -hmm. Just, just let it go. There's nothing I can do about it. They have more followers than I have. There's nothing I can do about it. And so 
when I saw the person, the few people who were doing it, I was just like, oh my God, like, cause people, what happened when people were tagging me and were like, um, hello, AC Brown just talked about this. This is her stuff mm -hmm. verbatim. How dare you? And then I was looking and I was just like, are you serious? Like, is this really happening? <laughs> like, is, is this happening to me? And it was more not because, because I don't really like, pro I don't like problems. I don't like that. Cause I'm not that person. I don't like to go there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was more kind of upset that it was like, I could see if I didn't just talk about this two days, it was like less than like set 48 hours, literally. And I was like, oh shit. And were these three accounts white wow. women? Absolutely. Of course. And I was just like, oh, they, wow. I said, this was, this was less than three days ago. I just, I just talked, if it was like six months ago no. or like, I would have probably like, might've just like, whatever. And then I was just, I was kind of like, wow. And so through all of the influx of, you know, people following people in the DMs and then that happening, I got kind of like anxious and nervous because I was just like with all of the attention and things like that. And then my, my product space business, people, you know, buying stuff. And then, you know, I'm like, I'm by myself right now. I don't have extra help because of COVID and all that stuff. And I was nervous because I'm like, white women are, you know, they'll turn on you. And so I was just like, super like, I've, I, a couple of nights during the month, I wasn't able to sleep. Like I still have readings to get out, which I told people like, everything will be out by the July 1st. Um, you know, but I'm not even going to offer that service anymore because of that. Um, just, just because of a couple of things, but I, I've been nervous. Like I got to hurry up and get this stuff out, hurry up and do these things because my experience, you know, is that when you piss them off or when they don't like something, you know, they turn on you. Mm -hmm. So, and I was just like, I don't need that. I don't want that to happen. So let me, so I, it's been the experience over the last few weeks have been anxiety, happy, proud. But then it was just, you know, and then of course, you know, a major thing did happen um, over the weekend. Um, I'm on Beyonce's website. My Yay, so, so exciting. Um, that was just like the creme de la creme of like, everything's going to be fine. Beyonce <laughs> sees you. you Beyonce, yeah. <laughs> right. People who know Beyonce, whoever put the list, like they, it's fine. All is right in the world. And so I'm just like, I'm okay now. I'm much better than I was, you know, 10 days ago or five days ago. So I, I just know that it's going to get much better. I, um, like I said, you know, I've been on invited on a couple of podcasts that I really admire. And, you know, on one of the podcasts, which you'll hear, um, you know, she was just like, wow, you've been doing this for almost a decade. And I'm like, yeah, I have been mm -hmm. like, I've been, you know, and it's just, just a testament to keep on going and to keep doing what I love doing like I'm really I know this is part of my purpose and so it just it's just meaningful that like I'm getting the recognition and the invitations that I am getting and I know that they're just going to keep on coming and I'm going to keep on getting more recognition more things just because I've been putting in the work like this is not like I'm not some 
overnight kind of success this is like 10 15 years in the making yeah you know and like I said if if this was January and told me that this was gonna happen I'd be like stop playing like you know that's it's not gonna happen so yeah for the sake of staying true to my type I just want to circle back and poke at something for a little second here I think you entered into that correctly when you noticed that somebody was stealing your work you know I don't know that you had to go out and, and it didn't feel good for you to go out and, and kind of be like, what the fuck? There's all these accounts. I think you're, you're at a place where you can let the people who adore you do that for you. Like all of the generators that follow you, you know, they were like, did you see this AC Brown? These people are copying you. No, they were tagging me. Like they were tagging the posts. And I was just like, cause I was I started that when it first happened, it was like, I was looking at my phone and then I was seeing, it was like, did you like where did you get this content from this is ac brown's work and i was just like well what's happening and i was going and i was reading the comments and was like oh interesting look at that people are stealing that's interesting like i was kind of like shocked i want to share a dirty little flip on this uh rachel was one of the people who was like don't fucking do this ac brown did a live on this these are her words verbatim and then all these yeah, white people, I, sorry, Rachel, tell your story here. All these white people. Yeah, I was like, oh no, Rachel, they started being mad at you. And I was just like- Oh no, 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 just wait. So then this person, this one person who, who I get, who Rachel had, had addressed, um, try, does something else, like apologizes, tries to make an adjustment. And then Rachel is DM'd. Sorry, Rachel, you're treated this way and this fucking bothers me. They're saying, well, DMing Rachel, the person put up a correction post. You should be also sharing that. No, she shouldn't be sharing that. Right, because I'm, I made her do that because she was like, what would you like me to do? And I said, I want you to take it down and I want you to publicly apologize. So that's why she put up <laughs> the correction Good. post. Yeah, so the person, but, but so, yeah, she did that because you said to, exactly. But then like white audience people were, were DMing Rachel that Rachel wasn't following up on the story and giving the full story because she didn't post that, hey, they did an apology. Why people don't need a fucking applause when they do, they actually do the right thing, you know? So this is a whole other thing that was going on behind the scene. Rachel's just sitting there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Vanessa's telling my story. Yeah, sorry, Rachel. But man, it bothered me. I was so rattled by that. I can't, it didn't surprise me at all because as a white woman, I know how we behave. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, it's like, it's what's so interesting about it is the behavior is textbook every time. It's always the same thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I just had a short conversation with them and just kind of said why this, you know, why that wasn't something that needed to be done. And some people listened and felt really bad and kind of recognized because they always come at you. And it's not a big deal for me because I don't live in a life where I'm being marginalized and oppressed by these people all the time. So for me, it's, it's a very different experience. Um, but mm-hmm. they come at you with like a subtle threat you know, uh, that we see over and over, just sort of like a, like a, I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw my support from you. I'm going to unfollow you. I'm going to, you know, I didn't get not, not specifically that, but like they said, like, um, people in this community look up to you. And it's just that it's all, it's an old 
um, it's just such an yeah, like they were reprimanding use of con. Like we look up to you. How dare you? Like, and it was just like, oh god. If anybody is listening oh. to this, don't you dare ever fucking DM me like that. Because so I will weird. put you in your place so fast. <laughs> yeah. And please don't DM me because I'm gonna Good. ignore it and block you. Like, oh, you know Vanessa. what? I'm, I'm, you know what? The 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 no people don't DM me the way they DM Rachel. And sometimes Rachel shares with me, and I'm just like, I can't believe people speak to you like this. I think it's just the gen. I think it's partially the generator aura. They feel safe doing that. Your aura is more open. I can see that absolutely. I'm I'm terrifying. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense to me. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I might engage too much. Like I definitely am still in a place where I will answer most DMs and I know that's shifting for me soon. It has to. So yeah, I don't know. That's definitely, it's been a, a common thread through my experience of having an online presence is that people just feel like they can say it to me. And I, I think it may just be an aura thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting to hear you say that because it's not my experience. I, I, um, um, the very end of May did a post on, uh, racism that was like speaking to white people specifically and how we had to accept racism within, within us. And in this post, I said, I am racist because of this and this and, and kind of listed all these things. And a woman came into my DMs, a projector, a, a self-declared 5-1 projector, you know, trying to immediately started telling her story over mine and was like, I want, I would love to hear your opinion on this. Everyone actually, wait, it was a comment, wasn't it? This person comment. I said, I did this post on racism. So here's a white person commenting triggered obviously by this post, um, as they should be and said, I don't agree with those first two. The first two statements I had made was I was racist because I was pissed off that I had to get Ninja Turtle band-aids instead of my skin color. You know, like it was a very, like I was trying to point out embedded racism and this person was basically like, I don't agree with these things. I'm a this age woman, blah, blah, blah. And just immediately went into telling their story <laughs> over mine and like long projectory paragraphs. Okay. Sorry. But like she was, she was going off and she's going, she's going, other people are kind of commenting and I'm very six two at this point, like kind of watching everything go on. And then kind of when I finally stepped in as she's going off, I was like, look, this is my storybook. That's what Instagram is. I show up here and I tell my story and you're commenting on my story. Don't come to my platform and try to tell your story on top of my story. Go to your platform and do it there. Your voice is louder. And I was quite firm, but not as firm as I'm sounding to you. Okay. And now, cause now I'm just like, Meh. um, and then this person comments back, this is Instagram. I, I can comment. That is an invitation because I brought it back to energetics. Sorry, I, I forgot this and said, you're being a projector. This is, this is an example of a projector without an invitation, basically. <laughs> Thanks for showing us that. Like I tried to bring it back to in energetics. And, and this person was like, this is, comment, this is an invitation. I can comment to this. And I did not comment back. And I just want to, to say it so it is known. No, it is never okay to come tell your story on somebody else's, in somebody else's storybook. That's what this is. That's what Instagram is. The comment section is to comment on the story that you're right. reading. Right, unless it's like asking a question. Totally different. I never ever ask questions intentionally. Yeah, you, I remember the post, you didn't ask Because I did not want your story. <laughs> I was saying my story so that you could find the similarities within your own story to find the racism within you rather than me say to you, here's where you're racist because I'm gonna come on way too strong like that. And I'm not going to like, as a right. white, as a white person, if I come on strong like that, I do not come through. 
and I'm not received and I'm not supporting the black community to the best of my ability. It is not up to me to, to redirect that anger and put it on someone else. I have to try and connect to that person to actually help them excavate their racism. And if I'm like, you're a fucking racist, you're racist because of this, 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 it's, they go into, they shut down classic textbook. They don't respond. They immediately go in, in fight or flight and they're on the defense. They're not receiving anything we say. Now, in the black community, that is not the way they, I'm never going to tell someone how they have to react. But for the white community, if we, if we t absorb the anger and redirect it, it just starts war. The work, if you're a white person, is doing, is doing the learning ourselves and finding the way to connect to the other white person on the other side. And it's never through yelling at them. It's not. They won't receive it. And I don't want to talk about that anymore because this is, this is not an all-white audience and it's not a place where people of color need to even witness white grief and trying to excavate this. And, you know, we are doing that in our own places, in our own circles. Um, it's tricky for me because I usually speak to my experience as a manifester because I don't ever want to put a blanket on somebody else. But I'm, I'm, I'm finding I really have to adjust in how I speak about my experience because my audience in my own community is 50% people of color, um, not just black, but people of color and 50% white. And so I can't just talk about white grief. So I've really had to, I, I haven't been posting because um, I'm still doing my excavating of my inner racism. And I don't feel, if I, I feel if I do anything too visibly, it will be performative and I don't want to um, even risk that. Mm. Thank you for listening to me because I felt, reluctant to even get into that so sorry about that well no it's, it's still it's this is still our podcast we can talk about whatever we it is it is still our here. podcast but we're in an unprecedented time and we are I really want to make sure I'm doing the best I can to change myself so I you know raise a child who's aware um, so I can have the difficult conversations with my family who, who is racist. I mean, all white people are racist, which is what we're coming to accept, but some of us are more aware of that racism. Um, and to continue supporting and loving people like everybody here, you know? So with that, Jasmine, <laughs> would you take us through your experience? Because you were in Minnesota. And I was so, I didn't know what was going on. You're like, yeah. I'm out of here. And I was like, are, are you safe? Are you, you know, where are your girls? What's going on? So where was, what was life for you? I'm not like, so like, I just listening to this whole, the whole thing that everybody just said, Rachel talking about her DMs and how white women react to things. I, I, I have to, I have to talk about that for a second because I don't, I don't think I know anything about white people. Like just when you like just said that, I was like, I, I don't know if that's, is that the experience that I'm having? And then when AC was talking about her experience as a black woman and in business and, and going through like being here for 10 years and doing all this stuff for nearly a decade. And I'm thinking, huh, I don't know if I'm really ever having that experience either. So it's really interesting to me to be, um, a person of color, a black person, a black woman, but to be semi ingratiated into a pretty white world. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess you don't know what I mean. Well, we, we would love strange. to witness you and thank you for bringing that up because I'm, I want to apologize. I, I realize I may be blanket statement, um, white culture and black culture. And that was a mistake. 
So you're somebody who can speak to, hold on, I'm having a different experience. And I think that's a huge reminder. Every single human being on this planet is having a different experience. So what are you, what are you experiencing? Well, I think, you know, you mentioned me going to Minnesota and that was, um, I think I left for Minnesota on the third. So everything had just kind of been going on for five, six days or something like that. Right. Well, there was, there was curfews and stuff you were trying to coordinate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were curfews in Miami. Everything had had kind of popped off there in terms of riots and protests. And then I think in Minneapolis was getting pretty calm by the time I arrived there on the third, but um, it was strange because there were so much, um, there had been so much damage like to the city, but the people, like all of the people that I came in contact with, um, white people, um, black people, other people of color, everybody was, the, there was a certain level of peace that was happening. At least that's what I felt. Like I felt very welcomed when I was there. And um, interestingly, like traveling through the airports, um, I was in Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Minneapolis, and the Miami airport. I've never had so many white people look at me and like make eye contact with me. And I know we were all wearing masks because that was also going on, you know, traveling with. Right. There's also a pandemic going on. Right. Let's not forget another unprecedented. Yeah. And so it was a really interesting thing for me to have um, white people of a certain generation older than me. Um, and a certain maybe different socioeconomic like status than I am, uh, just by their looks. I mean, I don't know, but to be making like serious eye contact with me and being very cognizant and aware that I was a person of color. And I mean, at least that's how I felt. And that it was strange. I've never had so many people say hello to me in my life while traveling. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was really, it was strange. It was, it was awkward as well because then I thought, oh, well, you didn't really notice me before but you are now suddenly noticing me. And I felt the same way with my Instagram. I mean, I think I got like a whopping hundred new followers, but I'm not as nearly as consistent of a poster. And I certainly didn't feel um, like I was in any position to be talking about um, racial injustice in terms of like, and uh, like on an educational level, like I felt like at that moment, I, I really had to like figure out how I felt and like through my own lens and then also through the lens of being a parent and having, you know, three brown daughters. It's interesting to like hear everybody else's perspective. I have no, like what you're talking about, white women. I don't know any of that stuff. Like I don't, I feel kind of stupid right now. Don't I do. Stupid. Like that's not my experience. And, but I also am a person who's very, um, like I don't have a lot of labels around anything that I do in my life. You know, like I don't say like I'm this way or I'm that way or I'm doing this or I'm, you know, I, I just, I'm very, and I think because I've always been different, I've always been other in my family and in my friend groups. So I just kind of like stay ambiguous, which, mm-hmm. you know, feels kind of safe, but in a world like we're living in right now, I don't think that it is a safe way to live. No, um, I think everybody is really um, mm-hmm. starting to see each other perhaps with a new level of clarity, a new level of awareness. Um, I know that when I'm interacting mm-hmm. with a white person, I can, I can sense um, perhaps what, what stage they're at in their excavating. Um, 
based on what Rachel was saying, textbook response, you know, where they're at and how they act. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, like if it's not like this, but if we could say, okay, they're at stage two. So now she's going to respond to me this way. You know, it's pretty textbook and how you can, and now you can see it. So, um, as a, as, as somebody in the white community, um, it's very, it was easy for me to start to almost suffocate in grief from an energetics perspective, as I'm taking in amplifying everything around me and all my openness and all, especially my solar plexus, I get someone like AC texting me. She's like, don't you shrink? And I was like, I know, but I just got to go process, you know? And Mm-hmm. Something that I just want to say, which will, you know, may be controversial, this information as it's coming out has also been intentionally kept from the white community. You know, there are things we also weren't taught, even though it benefited us while we're learning so much about, this was the first year I heard, I heard about Juneteenth. Why wasn't that taught to me? I didn't know to even ask about that because I don't know what I don't know. Why is this information being intentionally kept from everybody and because it's 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 for control it's for you know um and i think what the white community is realizing how much we're coming to terms with we're starting to understand um just how much our benefit is hurting and killing other people that we love that we are in relationship and that this information is was is not broken it's it's corrupt and it's also um harming us. And we weren't really always shown that we were always shown that you're white, it's benefiting you. So we never even thought we just kind of felt bad. Okay, it's benefiting us. It's not even look, then it's not even do the work. And then as soon as somebody's like, you know, all these black activists desperately trying to educate us saying, this is corrupt, it's hurting everybody. It hurts the black community more. But don't be fooled, you're also being damaged through this. And we I think what COVID did was taught us as a globe how to all focus on one thing at once and how just how powerful that is when the whole collective channels their energy one way. And then it was as if the universe was like, great, now you all know how to do that. Look here, look at the black community. This needs to be fixed immediately. And mm-hmm. we were all looking and we're, holy shit. And it, it just, and so then when, when energy is directed in such um, an intentional conduit like that, everybody sees it and it's undeniable. And then all this information starts to come out and it's as if you, you can't believe, like when I heard Donald Trump just say, Oh, we, there's, we, let's just stop testing for COVID. Then the cases, we won't know about the cases. I'm like, is, like everybody else is hearing how, how this is an imbecile, right? Like we can't unhear this now. And um, <laughs> I just want to say, you know, from an astrological perspective, this is, is slated to get more intense. I don't know that if it is more intense specifically um, in this specific area with Black Lives Matter and the movement and the uprising that's happening, but it is the state of the world and it's coming for fall. And so when I, when I just think about that, like what's coming for fall? Um, the election. What the fuck is going to happen there? You know, what is, what, what, kind of twists are going to happen, you know, and we're all looking, we all know now we're all, you know, we're all paying attention to the same thing. So it's going to get intense and there's going to be far more crumbling than there is. And we just need to continuously remind ourselves it needs to crumble. And what we're learning is like with, with everything, you know, defunding the police, we can take care of each other in our communities. We do not need these power structures as these oppressive forces around us. Like we can, can do this with each other and take care of, of one another. And in order to do that, we need to heal and make space for the divides that were caused between us, um, racially, gender, 
with the environment, across the board. And that's really what this next decade is going to be, astrologically speaking. The next 30 years, to be honest, we've entered a new 30-year cycle. That This is what this cycle is about. And this is just the, the infantile stages. So uh, I did feel this, that I, I could feel myself hermiting hard and, and in one reality could really run away from all of this. And I knew that was the cowardly thing to do, but it was still a very real feeling I was, I was feeling. And then sure enough, AC Brown picks up on that, senses me and fucking DMs me like a projector does and told me what I needed to hear. But I also still need to make space for that. But that was a very real thing that I was feeling. Might not be how I act, but it was a real thing I was feeling. And white spiritual women are coming under fire specifically for this. And we are the ones who need to really do a lot of work here because we're learning we are the ones causing the most damage because we think we're allies. And so Jasmine, when you're saying like, that's not my experience, I don't know white people like this. Um, we hide it because we trick you into thinking, I'm on your side, look at all this awareness I have and all these tools I'm doing, but we have blind spots because they've been, we've been intentionally blinded in certain areas. And so that's as mm -hmm. white people, we have to connect with each other, find the way to connect, not just get mad because that doesn't work and find the way to educate one another. Um, and that is the work right now. That is, that is the most spiritual work on the planet at this time is to move into that frequency. I agree with that for sure. I definitely do. And I think that part of um, my hesitation um, was also my hermiting, you know, my, my two, four, like I, I was, I was afraid. I'm, I mean, once I checked into the situation and said, holy shit, like what is going on in the world? Um, it became very clear to me that I cannot, I cannot hermit this away. This is something that I have to look at you know, to pull the curtain back and to say, oh my gosh, this is very real and this is very painful and this is what's happening in the world. And this is um, the, my own, I have, I, I have a duty and a, and a job to do to, um, to, not, to not stand for this anymore, anywhere. And even, on, and even though I've never experienced, um, I don't think racism in a violent way, I've certainly had you know, 1 million microaggressions and, um, and that, is, and that I've blown off. Jasmine, I'm sorry. I, sure. I want to say something because I assure you, you have been, you have been a victim of racism in violent ways mm. and the world has taught you that that's just acceptable and it's not. So part of, part of the excavating and, and looking at this is probably going to see just how, just how violent things were toward you. And, that you have, have, the world has taught you that you deserve that on some level. And you're like, it's just normal. It's not even violent. It's just, oh. And when you really start to look at it, which we will over right. the, this next time, you may start Maybe. to see. Especially in the wealth gap. Oh, yeah. And where you, I mean, you probably don't notice it as much because, you know, you live in a sunny place and it's like, you know, vacation town and stuff like that. But I'm sure you were the lowest paid. I'm sure that you got, you know what I mean? Like things like that, that you didn't really know about or things like you didn't that, know about just that just weren't aware of, um, you know, regardless of your experience in the industry, hmm. you were probably getting paid less. Oh, no, I certainly was. Yeah. Is that weird that I didn't attribute that to my race, yeah. but to my woman? So that's hood. double, but yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. That is a double. Wow. Yeah. Well, excavation. Yes. 
we're all doing that right now. Um, I saw a really interesting post that I liked that was comparing black men and white women to each other and to try and educate one another basically. And was saying, you know, black men are feeling oppressed because of their skin color and they're being murdered and they're, you know, um, and white women are suppressed because they're competing with the man and the man treats them like a secondary species. And, you know, and then it flipped and it said, but black men still rape women, still, you know, oppress women and white women still oppress other women in white feminism. And so they were showing that, you know, you're both oppressors, but you're both oppressed and you have to understand the complexity of what that means and how you're able to um, empathize to a degree, but you also still have work to do. If that makes sense. And it, it hit me in a way because this is often used to connect to white women. White women don't seem to get that they're racist because they, they think, well, I'm a woman. I know what it's like to be oppressed. It feels so bad for me because I know what that's like. But then the white woman has to then go in and unpack the grief that, yeah, you do know how bad that is. You do know that feels that, that terrible. And you're doing that to someone else still. And so it's like this, you know, they kind of, we sit with that and we try to, to understand it, but our only relatable way to understand it is to put it through the lens of oppression that we feel toward men. And it's just not comparable, but it's our closest, you know, so we try and use it, but it's not comparable. So when we think about a black woman, she's got two of these oppressor forces on her. And that's a whole other experience. And let's take, you know, a mixed race person, a mixed race woman, she's feeling rejection from her two races and her womanness. And it's a whole other complexity and a complex layer. So what we really need at this time is everybody to sincerely be sharing their stories of their experience from, from their unique angle so that we can all collectively learn from each other. Some of the most eye-opening um, uh, shares that I've been reading are from uh, mixed race people. Um, and it's causing me to reflect on, you know, my best friend from childhood was a black girl who said she felt white and wanted to be white. She said she was, she felt like an Oreo and me not having the awareness as a white little white 10 year old kid to even know how to be there for her. But I think kids of a future generation, I hope, I, I feel that they're going to know how to navigate those experiences and we need to be raising our children in that way. If I could segue actually from that, Jasmine, what, what, what's the experience been like with your girls through this? Oh, my, my girls are like, burn it down. You know, they're, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. like, fuck them all. Like, I mean, it, it's really pretty interesting. Um, they are far more well-informed than their mother. They don't stand for any shit and they are like not interested. You know, they're like, have a protest, have a right, do whatever you need to do. We're, you know, we are different, but you know, culturally, but we deserve to have the same rights and they're all about equity. And I mean, they were talking to me the other day about uh, being pro-choice. And I'm like, I've never even had these conversations with you guys yet. I mean, they're 14 and 12. So that's kind of, you know, erring on the heavy side to be talking about, you know, pro-choice and pro-life yet, but they're, they know they're very well informed and ready to, ready to do it all. They also so. grew up reading about racism in Teen Vogue magazine. It's the totally kids, different. The kids these days are, are such different breeds. They're so evolved and cool. Like, Right. Like they're each generation is an expansion of the generation that comes before. They're not better or worse, but they're an expansion, an evolution right. from. So they're carrying all the DNA and all the work that this generation has done and they take it in one of two spectrums. Um, you know, it's these kids doing like the gun activists um protests <laughs> or not gun activists, sorry, you know what I'm saying? When they're like 
get, why are we, why do we even have guns? And there's a 14 year old girl on a podium, this powerful speech. And I'm like, I'm, I was not doing that at 14. No, certainly not. It's, it's really interesting too, because they, um, I know that I grew up in a way I grew up with a white mother who was like, okay, well, this is how it is kind of for like, you're a black person. This is kind of how it's going to be for you. You should be aware of that. You should pay attention to that. And so with my girls, I've kind of been like, oh yeah, like when you start dating someone, if you choose to date um, a person who's different, a different race than you or different skin color than you, you're probably, you know, this is what could happen. This is what happened to me. I've had so many um, pretty terrible experiences with people's families, you know, not accepting me because I'm dating a white boy or white man or whatever. And so I've kind of like, now looking back on it, I'm like, oh man, I'm like setting them up to say, um, this is okay. It's just how it is. Wow. You know, like you're going to just have to accept it and just deal with it because people might look at you or people might, because that's, yeah, it's very interesting. They don't really feel that way. They're like, nobody better look at me. I'll date whoever I want. I'll do whatever I've, I've I want to do. I never thought of that. You know, so. Thank you for saying that because it's, yeah, you're like, you're trying to protect them. Yeah. So they're informed, so they're safe. And then in a, in a way, you know, we're also saying this is acceptable mm -hmm. treatment and it's, and it's, of course it's not. Yeah. And it's just, you know, how it right. I'm perpetuating that. it. Um, I, my child's five and I've been reading a lot about trying to educate myself on, um, anti-racist acts and not just conversations, you know, like what, cause we have it's a lot of, I know this, my son's right brained, right minded, you know, or whatever, whatever, sorry. He just, um, takes in peripherally, you know, it's what we do. So we, we took my son to the, the protest and we had our, our masks on, we wrote our phone numbers on his arm and it was very peaceful here and, and, and nothing got out of hand or violent. Um, but I felt I had that moment where like, is this safe to bring my child into this? Acknowledging that that was a privilege to even ask myself that. And to my Derek and I really mm -hmm. talked about this a lot because we were both feeling that like there's still a pandemic going on. Like, you know, it's, we're, we're going to be close to people. We haven't seen people and, you know, we have a child, a responsibility to him. And then we both came back to, for some reason, be bigger than that fear. He needs to be in this experience. And when we were all together and my son was chanting black lives matter and he's five and he's like, I was just like, this is why you know, and we were driving in the car a couple of days later and he's still out of the blue breaks out black lives matter, like in the car. And I'm like, I want that permeating his DNA. I want that embedded in him. But there was this kind of, you know, other conversation, um, Derek and I were having because, you know, Hoxley's, uh, my son's, uh, little friend, he was describing at school. He didn't mention his friend was black. He didn't know to make that you know, and then when we go meet this little kid, we see it's a little black kid. And I was like, okay, so my son didn't think to tell me that he doesn't see it, but does he need to see it? How do I, you know what? And then now am I pointing it out to him, you know, and making sure he looks and am I, am I feeding in racism? And it was just becoming so like you were saying, am I teaching my kid to notice color when he's young and he's not noticing my son's indigenous too. So we, we, we teach him, we try to educate him about his culture and we know it's still being filtered through a white lens. Um, and, and, you know, anyway, sorry, just mm -hmm. as a white mom, Jasmine, I'm listening to you. Your mom did not prepare you the way she needed to prepare you because she could not prepare you because she did not have that experience. And that is where I am. I cannot prepare my child because of I'm a white mother. And so it's a matter of educating myself to this, a space 
um, that I don't know I ever will be able to get to in order to protect my kid, but to also um, inform my child and inform myself. And it's um, an incredibly uncomfortable place to be. And just hearing you say that, it was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And then, (laughs) oh my gosh. Meanwhile, my mom is like, my mom, I think, wishes she was black. She thinks she's black. That's like, she has, she has all black friends and like those that she considers her family. She, and she's indigenous as well. She was born on an Indian reservation in Montana. And um, she has only, like, she has always dated black men, African-American men in her life. She's completely like assimilated into a black culture. And then she has me who's not necessarily assimilated into a black culture. Like as a child, I wasn't. Um, and I think she was probably just wanting me to be like her, you know, and she's like, you were completely opposite. She's like the way you like acted and behaved and whatever. Like I, when you just said that about Oreo, little kids used to call me that because I have a black parent and a white parent. Like I was an Oreo, all kinds of like weird names, which I like now looking back, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that probably is pretty like violent. Those are like weird, violent things to say. But that's just like, that was like the early 80s. Like people just talked like that to you. Very strange. Never should have been. And so what that taught you, you see how that, right. you know, how it then was ingrained in you. And you're like, that's, that's just tall. I, it's not even violent. I just accept it. Right. Well, that's a full We're all kind of like there. re-looking. We're re-evaluating. Yeah. A lot of experiences we haven't had to necessarily look at. We're just taking a different lens to, to look at our lives. Yeah. And, and like all that stuff you're saying about how you feel like you don't know about white yeah. people. Like I had to study that even though I am one because they like tell you that that's normal. Right. <laughs> so you just grow up thinking that's how people behave. And Rachel Cargill is doing a yeah. really good series right now where she'll like break down a post, like a comment by a white lady every week. Really helpful. <laughs> and it's really helpful. And like, those are the people that I've learned this from about myself and, you know, other white people, because yeah, we're just like all indoctrinated to believe that this is the default and correct way to behave. <laughs> and it's like, you have to, I've had to actively study it to even understand it because that's how I used to think too. Yeah. That, that's an like, important yeah. thing to point out. Like we don't know the way we're programmed to react the, you know, and, and I love those, that series that Rachel Cargill is doing as well, where she like does writes, has a, has a comment and then writes one, two, three, and she writes all over the post of all the things, all the defaults that the white person is going through, you know, all the rebuttals, all the, but I'm this and I'm that, and nah, but what about Oprah? You know, like, <laughs> and she, she breaks them all down and it's really educational. She doesn't need to be doing that for white people. I don't know that she is doing it for white people, but white people are benefiting from it because we're seeing the, our own process. And to bring this back to human design, this is just the collective conditioning you know, this is what deconditioning is. It's now we're seeing it so, so visually that we have to go in and reprogram this programming the system has put within us. And depending on, you know, our uniqueness, whether we're a woman, whether we're black, um, we are programmed slightly differently, but it's all coming from the same system. And deconditioning is realizing you've been programmed. And then trying to learn how to unprogram yourself. And it's, I don't, I, I feel like, thank God I have human design. AC, what are you feeling? No, I'm just thinking about 
just yeah like this is just another thing that people have to like be willing to decondition from you know um especially white women white men just because uh, I read somewhere that uh, somebody had did a post I don't remember where I saw this and they were saying how now that you've now that you know that you've had the advantage all of this time pretty much like are you willing to you know take us not a step back but are you willing to educate yourself on why you've had the advantage or do you just do you care totally because a lot of a lot of white people um grapple with sometimes when when you have excess in order to restore balance it feels like you're losing something and so then you move into this space of mm-hmm. lack and, and white people get all, you know, about that. And right. And that, that was another thing that I had with the Oprah had did something. And one of the ladies was speaking and she was just saying, and she gave a really good analogy about privilege. And she was just saying, imagine you, there's a stream and you go up the stream or you are against going against the stream, you know, white people, they go up the stream that doesn't take away your your tragedies your lack your experiences that you've dealt with whether you were a poor white person a rich white person but you are going up a system up a stream that still benefits you regardless of what happens in your life and then black people we're going against the stream so then when we have bad things happen, when we have economic or wealth gaps or things like that, and we're trying to get ahead, we're going against the stream. So as a white person, no matter what happens to you, the system is still designed for you to move forward. For us, the system is not built for us to move forward. We're going against the current. And that was just like, I was like, that's brilliant. That's, uh, that's how it is. And so, and that's where it's just like, nothing can be taken away from you. And it was just, I I remember I I had a a white boyfriend and he was complaining about, you know, because he was overweight and he was just like, oh, you know, people look at me. I'm like, you're white. Shut up. Like, you're white. Like, you're a white man. What are you complaining about? Like, and lo and behold, he's like, you're actually right. You know, you know, he doesn't have, he didn't have a degree. He only had like certificates and this is, you know, the system was still designed and he still made six figures. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're like, shut up. You're white. Like, what are you complaining about? You don't even know. Yeah. Like, what are you complaining about? That's another white tactic though. You know, um, when you're calling somebody out or showing them their racist act or racist habit, they go, but I'm a cancer survivor. I was sexually assaulted. I have no grief. You know, they start to, and it's, the reminder is this has nothing to do with your trauma. Yes, you experience trauma. You're a human being. You're here to experience trauma. That's going to happen to you. Your trauma is not a direct relation to your skin color. Correct. And it doesn't affect, your trauma doesn't affect your socioeconomic status or exactly. your position in life and how you can get ahead. So it's like, yes, you still have that trauma, but we're literally not talking about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You still get it. Right. right. But it's, you still can advance yourself in this like you can literally pick yourself up Mm -hmm. with a Mm -hmm. system that supports you in doing that and a system that picks you up yeah right and white people yeah 
can just kind of walk around not really ever thinking about their whiteness or, you know, it's not an, it's like a non-issue. Um, well, you're exactly right. We don't think about it. You don't have to, you're not, well, I mean, we don't, yeah. we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we're, we're learning that the system, quote unquote, the system, uh, doesn't cater to white people. It caters to whiteness and what is whiteness. And so mm-hmm. now white people are learning what that is. Yeah. We don't even know what it is. Whereas, you know, black people are like, yeah, we know we've been telling you forever. <laughs> right. <Hello>. And, and <laughs> like, we know, <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm an expert already about what you're dealing with, Karen. Okay. Karen. Oh, right. <laughs> They're already experts in our whiteness, <laughs> but I just want it to be known and said, you know, if you're white, it was intentionally kept from you. You were turned into an unaware being and you have to now deal with that. We have yeah. to deal with that. And we are. Right. And pay no attention, pay no attention. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're taught weird things too. Like what you're saying, Jasmine, about people. Cause I've heard that from multiple black women saying, Oh my God, all of a sudden people are looking at me. I was reflecting on it and I was like, okay, what is it that causes people, white people to be like that? It's not that we don't see you. It's that we're taught to like, Mm -hmm. we're taught that it's rude to notice someone's race. So then, which is like a way of just keeping the whole thing going, you know, because it's like, you're right. Oh, I don't see it. And if you do pay attention, you're racist and you're bad. So don't single them out. And that's when white people are going, but I don't see color because the system designed them to be blind. Exactly. Like, oh, I don't see it. And because that's the only way that you can continue to uphold all of this like treatment of people. So it's like, you're almost taught to like avert your eyes. It's not that you don't see that person. It's like, you're taught that it's rude to look at that person because that's how you othered them or something. It's like this really crazy twisted thing. Oh, and well, it's interesting too. Like I've had people, women say to me, oh, I always forget you're black girl. And I'm like, that's another violent. Yes. I I don't think you should forget that I'm black because I, I am black. Like that's, that's so weird. Like, right. I get, I used to get that a lot in the workplace and it's just so weird and mean and just, just, it's like, why? Because I speak proper. Why? Because I have education. Why? Because I have had the same experiences you have. Like, so it's like, that's why that you forgot. Right. So what does it mean to be black? I mean, they have an idea that what it means to be black and I don't fit that description, <laughs> which is very strange to me to say that to someone. I would exactly, never say, oh my gosh, Jasmine. I, almost, I always forget you're white. You know, that would be like a weird thing to say. It's just a weird, like, yeah. Okay. Well now I'm starting to think that maybe there have been some times in my life where people have said some fucked up shit to me. Yeah. And it, well, it's because you don't think about it because you're been living it. So the microaggressions are almost, you don't think they, they happen so much that you can't think about them as much as they happen. That's why. Right. Right. It's just kind of inundated. I mean, we, I went the, my first night on vacation um, I'm in Minnesota at the lake and one of the girls that was there, 
um, I'm saying girl because she was young. She was 23. She said, oh, I need, I wanted to get my hair braided. And she's like, can you braid hair? And I said, no, I cannot braid hair. And she goes, oh, I just figured because you were black, you could do that. And I was like, mm, no, I'm not. I, I can't braid hair. I don't like, it's not really my jam braiding hair. Like, right. So that's a microaggression. Yeah. And like, she said, I figured because you were a parent, you know. Or, right. Or because you have three mom. girls. Like she I, said, no, I, it's because you're black. I figured you knew how to braid hair. Yeah. And I was like, mm, no, sorry. Failing, failing at being black again. Like, I can hold on. Jasmine makes comments and they often slip under the rug. And I don't want that to, to slip under the rug. Like, sorry, I'm being not, I'm being bad. I'm not the, like, <laughs> you're like grading how black you are. Oh, well, I've been, that's been like a thing that's, yeah. I don't generally grade how black I am. I know how black I am, but people and black people grade how black I am a lot. And they did when I was younger too. It doesn't bother me anymore because, and I don't think it happens as much anymore because I am, I feel like I'm really in myself. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't feel insecure about my blackness anymore. Um, but I did when I was younger and, and a lot of um, the people that I would come in contact with were called, like they called me out a lot, called me all kinds of names about my whiteness, about pretending to be white and acting like a white girl and doing things that they did not like me to do. So I've been reading a lot of, yeah. of stories on that to educate myself, just cause that's where my experience began as a child. Um, you know, I was the kid who got a weave with her black friend. We both got weaves and like I'm, our moms were both hairdressers and she, they were trying to explain like um, her weave stays in because of her hair texture and my weave kept slipping out and I kept needing to tighten the braid. And like, why did I have that in the first place? Like, why, why was I putting a weave in my hair? It's like me and my friend were doing it together and we both wanted long hair. And, and, and it was just like, I was yeah. in a lot of little weird experiences as a kid like that. And so this was a mixed race person. And so that's, I'm, I'm looking to those stories specifically because that's where I really was first becoming racist, I guess. And, and um, hearing, you know, you're not black enough, you're not white enough. And then even though you say now, like, I'm, I'm confident, I'm not insecure about this, the damage was still done to you as a child, regardless. You still, that narrative was still in you. And I hear it, Jasmine, when you yeah. make these little comments lightly and you sweep them under the rug. And I'm like, no, Jasmine, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I, you're, you're making a joke of how you feel. And we're picking up on it. And you, we want you to you don't have to feel that way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I don't know, like, it doesn't really hurt my feelings anymore. I think that anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it definitely did hurt my feelings. I, I spent my first two years of high school, um, being, uh, yelled at every day for two years. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Uh, there were two girls at my school. One was an African-American girl. One was a Puerto Rican girl. And they, I mean, they just did not like me. And they just, I mean, they fucked me up. Like every day of my life, they yelled at me, they chased me, they slammed me into the lockers. And and that was really hard. And I, I never like put together, I, I mean, even in my young brain, it wasn't about them being black or Puerto Rican. I think it was just about them not liking me and just picking on me, you know, like that's kind of how I put it to, to myself. Like I didn't really want to make it about that, but I guess looking back, they were just, um, they thought I should be a different way than I was, you know, I don't know. Everybody tries to, the, everybody thinks they should be somebody else. I feel like what I learned the most about conditioning is that, you know, now that I'm a 
a parent. There, I had this phase where I was doing what I thought I should be doing because that's what was ha- my parents did for right. me, you know, instead of realizing, you know, and I think that we each do that. And wh- why human design is so valuable is it teaches us what's unique about us and then what's unique about the other person. And I notice for myself, I'm always trying to put myself, my design on my partner. I want him to be like me. Talk to me. Get your words out. Oh my God, open throat. Come on. And he's not designed to. Right. And instead of trying to force him to be like me, I need to just learn who he is and celebrate him and learn how to just be together and accept him right. rather than trying to change him. We always try to change each other. Mm-hmm. And human design just shows you, this is who you are. Right. And this is who they are. Yeah. And now that you know that, stop trying to change each yeah. other. Right. And then do the work and go deep and decondition and find all these parts of yourself that have been contorted and actually got you farther away from who you think you should mm-hmm. be or who you are. Yeah. You know, you're just a recreate parents instead of being you. Right. Or whomever raised you and conditioned you in the first place. Yeah. AC, did you ever have anything go on like that when you were younger? Of people doing what? Like picking on you or bullying you about how you spoke or anything like that. No. Um, no. I've never had that. I have. So, and I, I, I guess this, I don't know. I've, I have a, don't fuck with me energy um Mm -hmm. anyway um I've had one time it was I was younger girls trying to pick on me but um I've always carried a very like I don't mess with you don't mess with me kind of thing right um I have more microaggressions in the workplace if anything in corporate America um mostly Mm. but no because in I'm from New York, so in New York it's very interesting, um, and you can only really experience this. New York is a very, it's more classist than. Well, I'm not gonna say mm-hmm. it's not racist. It is racist, but if race was first, then it comes class. So it's like okay, yes, I'm black and all of this stuff, but in New York, and especially me growing up in the places that I've grew up at. New Yorkers are very interesting. So it's like, say you live in a building, right? And the cheapest apartment maybe in the building is $5,000 a month. Because you live here, we're the same almost because you can afford to live here just like I can. Mm -hmm. So it's very different. Or in neighborhoods, if all of the houses cost millions of dollars and you, yes, you know, they might question that. And then if they find out what you're doing, fine, but it's like, oh, you live on the block. So, but in the neighborhoods that I grew up, everybody was like a very well-to-do educated black person. So I grew up in um, neighborhoods where, you know, you know, my grandmother, of course, you know, she owned a daycare. My grandfather at the time, he was a mailman. And then we had, you know, electricians, superintendents. Um, the neighbors were principals, were owners of companies. My uncle owned, you know, were they entrepreneurs. There's, you know, we had a neighborhood association with, you know, black people and for the neighborhood. And they were all like very well to do like black people. So it was very like, working upper middle class kind of so it and you know we had some italian people there and some white people but everybody like did stuff so the generation that you know my grandmother and my mom the, who migrated into that neighborhood they were all um like very big fixtures and especially in the black society 
of you know mm-hmm. neighborhood watches and neighborhood organizations and you know upwardly mobile black people so it wasn't I didn't experience that on a neighborhood level because it was like you know yes he's an electrician but he's also the superintendent of the school system or of the schools and things like that or yes he's a a mailman but he's also the head of this post branch and you know so it was a lot of that um uh so we I didn't experience that so we you know even if you didn't go to college even my mom's generation like the 70s you know you still were like like my mom went to you know she went to school and she was an accountant and you know it wasn't you know, my grandfather was an electrician, a mechanic um, on my dad's side. And then his mom was a teacher. And then when I went to, you know, elementary school um, and elementary school, my, the principal was black who grew up in the South with my grandmother. So it was just like, I didn't experience a lot of that um, growing up, mostly in corporate America. So, and also to like, you know, my where we grew up in um my neighborhood in queens you know we also not only had your neighbors in queens but we also had like a block in sag harbor and you know the hamptons where we were also neighbors there so it was just a very different kind of thing for us because they were very everybody was very upwardly mobile educated um on some type of either was college educated, you know, even though my grandfather was a mailman, he went to um, Morgan State, which is in Baltimore. He was, he's a college person. And back then that was, Mm -hmm. you know, so I mean, so even if it was like working class people, they were like very well off working class, middle-class people in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. So it was, I didn't experience that. Mostly it was the microaggressions in corporate America. That's where it was just like, oh this is interesting or even in college it was it wasn't even like that either where I went to college and it was you know we were the minorities in college I went to a private college um but yeah it it was I can't yeah so it was mostly in corporate America mostly in corporate America where I was just like wow this is what this means you know being the only black person on the team or only two black people in the company like oh, okay, this is what that means. So I experienced more microaggressions in corporate America. Where we live downtown um, is very diverse. And my partner and I were talking the other day and he was like, do you find like now that where we live, like, are you noticing and seeing more people of color? Like, are you aware of it now? And my answer was no, I'm more aware of how many white people are around. Like suddenly I go to the grocery store and I'm very aware everybody here is white because I went to this neighborhood. Because where we live right now, there's a lot, it's it's just, we see it all the time. We, you know, there's there's all, it's it's not just white people. It's not just black people. It's even the, the people who work here are all really diverse and dynamic. And what I'm realizing is the filters that I've had, like I've been, yeah, no, before I would like notice a person's color, but now I'm noticing whiteness which is 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 different for me and i did this experiment even on my pinterest where i was intentionally pinning um only bipoc there was no i wasn't pinning anything with if there's a white person and i wasn't pinning it to the point where i wanted to reset my algorithm and i did reset my algorithm and then suddenly all the the stuff being shown to me there was no white people and it was my first time through this 
little experiment on social media where I didn't see myself because I was trying to understand, you know, what is that? And I was trying to use these tools that I, that I had and it, just for my own learning. And it was, it, it was very, very unsettling to the point where I, it was then I couldn't even fathom what this was like in real life. Like it was like, there was no way for me to understand. And that's, I think that's where a lot of white people, um, start to unravel and get despondent because there's, we can't, we can only witness. We can't actually understand or share the experience even when we try to. And so when we're trying to understand you, we can only come from a place of of witnessing what you're going through um, and observing it rather than uh, relating, I guess is the word I want. So it's, I'm very hopeful for like where we are and where the world is going, but I'm also very, I'm, I'm moving to these waves where I can't see the way out and it feels like it's so corrupt and it's so embedded in every single corner and how are we ever going to, and then when I am in those moments, sure enough, a black activist will do a post and it's like feeling this way. <laughs> it's like, yep, great. That's where I am in that stage. And then here's what we need to do. Here's step one. We're going to start with defunding the police. Then we're going to do this. And here's why, we, you know, and it's like all laid out. It's all been done. It's just white people are finally being directed all at the same time to look instead of being distracted to look absolutely everywhere else, which is what we tend to do. We distract ourselves with anything other than what needs to be dealt with. Hey, it's Vanessa. Manifestors, this tip is for you. And actually, let's turn that music right down because I want to come through loud and clear, and this is going to be a monologue because, hey, I am an ego manifester. Manifestors, you know that urge you're designed to feel? You may have heard that this urge comes from God, and it would be incomprehensible to deny an urge that comes from God. I've even regurgitated that concept before. But if I do not identify with the godlike concept that was put on me as a child raised within the container of religion, where does the urge come from for me, if not from God? Historically, when our scientists found data or asked a question that they could not find an answer for, they threw their power away and gave it up to God and the powers that be. They said things like, we don't know where lightning comes from. It must come from God. Praise the powers that be. And in a way, humans had learned to fear God because of this, that God was going to blow us up with lightning if we didn't obey The introduction of Jesus was the first time humans were presented with the concept of a loving God, not a God that was going to destroy them with natural disasters if they misbehaved. And we can see how when presented with the concept of a loving God, it was dangerous in a new way. It presented that we were now in control. If we prayed enough or loved enough, we would go to heaven. It was the same disempowering concept of the violent gods, just from the other end of the spectrum. So if I accept the religious context of God does not resonate with me, and I accept our species have thrown their power away when asked the wrong question, giving up to God, where do I stand on the concept of the manifester urge? And I'd love to tell you what I feel, to open your mind to another concept, and it's up to you to determine how you feel about what I have to say. Our role as manifestors is not to get caught up in what they do with or feel about our energy. We are just the conduit for new energy to exist. So this is an example of me being that conduit. 
I feel our urges come from generators. This is a generator world. No matter how much we detest that theory as manifestors, we also know generators are the fabric of the universe. Generators are that invisible silkiness that ripples with wisdom, emotion, and experience. Generators are the fabric of the universe. They often feel things before they consciously understand what they're feeling. They're frustrated the week before the thing actually happens in their reality. They ripple. They pull energy. They respond to what they're feeling. They feel something, then they pull on that fabric and they pull us to them. Entertain the concept that we are on top of that fabric, not part of it. I feel every time we get an urge as manifestors, somewhere out there, a generator has moved back into the rhythm with the cadence of the universe, kicked up that fabric, and they begin pulling the change makers into their reality so they can be initiated into change. They're looking for us. Sometimes that change feels bad. Sometimes it feels good. But it always feels uncomfortable for the other. Being initiated or impacted always feels uncomfortable for the other because it takes them out of their current state. I used to play with a parachute in gym class as a child. Someone would tug and pull the parachute and it would ripple on the other side. Whomever was on the other side of the parachute would feel it rippling. And in my self-centered manifester experience, because hey, all manifestors are designed to be somewhat self-centered. I always felt that I was pulling people toward me and that's how I was impacting them. I always felt I was the one rippling the parachute to be felt on the other side. But I do not pull. I do not ripple. I push. I move around freely. I'm not holding the parachute at all. I'm not the energetic fabric of the universe. I'm simply not. I often feel like I'm changing all the time, being tugged and tossed in numerous directions. Because I am. I am being pulled and tossed around the fabric of the universe. We, as manifestors, are the ones on top of the parachute. We're not playing that game of rippling the parachute. We are not designed to respond. That's why it feels so bad for you every time you respond, even to asking a question, or excuse me, even answering a question, or even waiting for the traffic light to go from red to green. That's why you're always feeling that way. We are the ones crawling around on top of the parachute. And I have felt punished and felt shame for always changing atop this parachute. And, you know, perhaps the reflectors are underneath the parachute going, holy shit, look at that. I'm going to just move over here under this parachute as to not be crushed by that ridiculous parachute over there. Perhaps there's even a few projectors that are standing just beside the parachute going, goodness grief, don't pull the parachute that way. Why aren't you listening to me? Don't you know there's a better way to do this? And the manifester is like, holy shit, what is the deal with this parachute? Can you see me being tossed around? And imagine seven or eight generators actually around the circumference of that parachute wiggling it. And they may leave and swap in and go stand with another parachute. It is completely up to them. Entertain the concept of the generator rippling out a needed frequency, a frequency they need to call in. They feel something happening in the universe and they respond. They ripple back for what they're feeling within the universe. But when we as manifestors sense that ripple, only we can create that new needed frequency the generators are trying to pull in. They can pull it in, but they cannot create it. After all, 
We are the only energy types who can create brand spanking new energy and new energetic pathways for generators and other types to actually move into. Because projectors are still changed by us, but they aren't impacted by us by them tugging on the parachute like a generator. They're impacted by us by what they see us doing within the parachute. And they learn by watching what the generators are doing and as a projector going, well, hey, that doesn't quite work for me. Or, hey, that's brilliant. That works. But we are not the ones as manifestors actually calling in the new frequencies. And I feel there has been a disconnect there as a byproduct of my own self-centeredness as a manifester. I feel generators are the ones calling in the new frequencies. And we as manifestors are simply the change makers who can actually initiate it into reality. If others want to see a new reality, if they want to call in a new reality... That's when they respond and walk up to our parachute and wiggle it around. They can move between many parachutes since a parachute is a parachute is a parachute and all parachutes are connected. But lasso a manifester into your reality and the manifester impacts you. Walk up to the parachute I'm within and you're going to observe my peace or you're going to feel me kicking. Imagine a person trying to lasso a horse. Once they cast the rope, the peaceful twirling of the rope is now gone. Now, the person holding the rope is feeling the powerful kicks of the horse, if they've caught it. Manifester, sit in peace at the very center of the parachute. When you sense a ripple, let everyone holding on to that parachute feel what you're sensing. Impact them with what you feel. And then return to peace in the center. You are a burst of energy, but you are also designed for peace. Do not be afraid of yourself for they have chosen to ripple the parachute you sit within. Trust that whatever way you blast your energy, this way is exactly what they need to change them. It is not your responsibility to get caught up in if they liked your kick or not, because you can do one kick and it will be felt differently by every single person attached to that parachute. One will love it, one will loathe it, but if you do not kick, no new frequencies will enter this planet. If we obsess over each person who loathes our kick, we will miss the millions of others who love it or worse we will not impact or initiate at all and we will not bring in any new frequencies and even the ones who do loathe how we feel they will still be changed by us and even though it may take time for your kick to change their reality trust it will when it is time manifester this time in our collective evolution requires us to be brave enough to initiate new frequencies. Be brave enough and you will return to your manifestor's signature of peace. All this human design information, shoving anger down our defined throats. What about our peace? What about our truth? We are here for peace. We know this even if they all do not. Even if they'd rather keep us in this, in this container of anger like we are bad and they should be afraid of us. We know anger and we know that in order to reach peace, anger needs to be held and offered space. We know this as manifestors. Anger is not a synonym for violence. We know anger needs to be released. 
I love you and I see you and I deeply know your suffering. I am another you and it is my honor to carry this energetic with you. Rise up. Let us be empowered, empowered from within and rise up. Be the change needed on this planet at this moment in time. This is why you are alive and we are here for a reason and only you know your reason and your why because you are a manifester. Thank you for letting me kick. <laughs>